Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears. Multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Questions, questions. We get questions and we have answers. They might not be the right answers, but we will try. And when we get them wrong, our audience usually straightens us out. And we sure appreciate that. So without further ado, welcome to Ron Spomer Outdoors Podcast. And we've got our questions pulled up by the team. And the first one comes from someone named Jeff. And he asks, hey, Ron, how are they headspacing the 450 Bushmaster? Ah, good question. That is a rebated case and it doesn't have a shoulder. So how do you stop it going into the chamber? Something has got to stop that thing or you're going to just shove it right up into the rifling and the primer probably won't get touched by the firing pin. That's what headspacing is all about. Controlling the cartridge in the chamber so that it stops at precisely the right distance to get a perfect strike from the firing pin for ignition. So on this Bushmaster, if it has a rebated rim, it's not going to be caught by the rim. It doesn't have a belt around it, so it can't headspace on that. There's nothing to catch. And there's no bottleneck, no shoulder to stop inside of the chamber. So what stops it? The mouth of the case. Sounds crazy, but it's it's an old technique. It doesn't seem like there's much surface there to stop it, but it seems to work. Uh, the 45 ACP, been around since 1911. That's... Uh, Stopping on the on the mouth, forty uh, Smith and Wesson, I believe, it does, and the nine millimeter Luger, and the three fifty Legend Winchester's three fifty Legend cartridge head spaces by stopping on the mouth. So that's just that edge of the case right at the bullet. And the the downside of those, of course, is that you can't really do a crimp. You know how a lot of cartridges have a mouth crimp into the cantler of the bullet. Can't do that with these. You've got to keep that straight wall with that nice rim sticking right out there so we can catch inside of the chamber and headspace. Good question, Jeff. This is Andrew. And Andrew asks, is the 308 really more accurate or is it just a flatter trajectory in the hands of a novice marksman who doesn't know how to compensate? Yeah, good question. Because the 308 Winchester does have a reputation for being inherently accurate. And I've never quite bought into that. And I get uh, arguments all the time from 308 lovers who shoot very well. My position on the 308 Winchester and its legendary accuracy is because the cartridge was and is used a lot for target shooting. So it is built precisely. The ammunition manufacturers take care to make good match-grade ammunition, very precise, as well as rifles, match-grade chambers and barrels and everything. So it's more of an effort to make perfect concentricity in the gun and the ammo and nicely balanced bullets and everything else. And that's, I think, where you get the accuracy. As a hunter, you don't need to be concerned about 
one cartridge being inherently more accurate than the other. It's the bullet and the rifle and how the ammunition is made that make for good accuracy. Now, if you're a target shooter, you probably do want to pay attention to those tiny little differences that do emerge from certain case configurations. And they seem to be a combination of a fairly short powder capacity in your case, not a long skinny case, but a short fat one, because then the front, the primer flash is reaching the center of the powder a little sooner rather than igniting the back of the powder and then burning its way up. It seems to get closer to the center so that it can burn out in all directions. And that somehow increases potential for accuracy. And then the slope of the shoulder, you don't want it too tapered and sloped gradually, and you don't want it too sharp and hard. Seems like 30 degrees is what they're all falling on these days. 30 to 35. It holds the powder in a little bit better so it doesn't get blown out by that first initial pressure of the expanding gases and burns more completely inside of the case. And that supposedly contributes a little bit to accuracy as well. But we are talking very, very, very tiny fractions of an inch. Again, important maybe for a bench rest shooter, but not for a hunter. Good. A flatter trajectory, though, that uh, Andrew brought up, there really is no flatter trajectory in the 308 Winchester. It's not all that flat. It's a good, good long range round for me, about to 600 yards. After that, it just doesn't have the, uh, the horsepower to take advantage of the high BC bullets available in a 308. You've got to have more powder behind it to keep things going for those 800,000 yard shots. And that's why the 6.5 Creedmoor has kind of taken over for precision at longer ranges. And uh, people have proven that even a good 243 Winchester load can give you a better grouping at distance with variable winds and such than the 308. Because of the higher BC bullets, there's less chance that an errant wind is going to give it a little too much deflection. The 308 is just not going quite fast enough to take advantage of those high BC bullets. So, no, it does not have all that flat of a trajectory. All right, this is someone called East Texan. And the East Texan asks, can you talk more about the Vomhoff SE, um, Super Express? Never heard of it. <laughs> you know what? Neither had I until Lucas Schulte wrote about it in one of his blogs on Ron Spomer Outdoors' website. So ronspomeroutdoors.com, go there and punch in the uh, Von Hoff, that's V-O-M, and then the second word H-O-F-E, I think it's pronounced Vom Hoffe, or Vom Hoffe in German, and Super Express, pretty cool name for it. And you can read all about it. Lucas does a great job of explaining it. It's pretty convoluted. Here's what I took away from his article. This cartridge was made around 1956. That was after World War II. Prior to that, though, in the 1930s, right around 1931, 1936, somewhere in there, this Vom Hoffa uh, made a cartridge called a 7x73. Uh, and I think he called it a Super Express II. But it was a pretty long cartridge. And, then, and another guy, I've forgotten his name now, but he wanted to... Uh, Use that name. I think he bought the guy's company or something and started it up again. And he wanted to get similar performance out of a seven millimeter, but without such a long cartridge. So he shortened it and made it fatter. And the upshot is the Dern thing looks just about like a 28 Nosler. And it does almost exactly the same ballistically as the 28 Nosler. And yet it was made way back in 1956. So one of the points that Lucas made in his blog was that this, uh, 
28 nozzler, good as it is, it's really nothing new because this German came up with essentially the same idea way back in 1956. So the upshot is this thing will drive a 160 grain bullet around 32 to 3300 feet per second, 175 grain bullet, maybe 3,200 feet per second. Depends on the barrel length. You get some crazy numbers because you never know what they tested for a barrel length. They often test, I guess, with 30-inch barrels over in Germany, and that'll give you a little more velocity. So that's what I know about the Davamhafe Super Express. Now, Holly5223 asks, do you think the 7mm PRC is going to shake up the 284 market big time? Hmm. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't, and the reason is not because it's not a great cartridge. I haven't seen one yet, haven't worked with it, don't know that much about it. But the 7mm market is so saturated already with great cartridges that I just see... It's a long climb to really change and shake up the market big time. Even with you mentioned the 284, that's the diameter of the bullet. That's a 7-millimeter bullet. And there's the 284 Winchester on the rebated case. There's a 7-millimeter short magnum, the 7-millimeter SOM, and a lot of Wildcats made from that one. Uh, there are the long ones like the uh, Shooting Times Western, 28 Nosler we just mentioned. That's a great one. So... I'm sure what this PRC is doing is that they are taking the same features and forms of the case and that they've used in the 300 PRC and the 6.5 PRC, and they're maximizing everything they possibly can for modern cartridge design with fast twist barrels. So I think it will catch on with uh, probably long-range target shooters, and it certainly worked for hunting. But I just don't think it's revolutionary enough that it's going to take over from the old stalwarts. There are just too many 7-millimeter Remington Magnums out there that are still working just great. And they really do everything you need to be doing for hunting. So I think it'll do all right. But maybe I'm wrong. And it'll take over big time, kind of like the 6.5 Creedmoor did. But I kind of doubt it. Okay, now this is Eric, and Eric asks, why shoot a big bore when modern technology is applied to more modern cartridges? A 338 Norma Magnum slaps out 4,500 foot-pounds of energy with a sleeker bullet in a more modern platform, much more accurately, and out to much farther distances than the 4570. Newer is generally better. Well, yes and no. Um, I think you're just overstating modern technology a little bit here, Eric. It's not so much modern technology. There's really nothing more modern about a cartridge today than there was back in 1873 when the 4570 government came out. What's changed are the rifles themselves and the steels used in those rifles so that you can use higher chamber pressures in a cartridge. Um, and that's why the 4570, you can buy even factory loads that are loaded downs for the old Trapdoor Springfield style rifles with really, really low chamber pressures or a more modern 1895 Marlin lever action that can take more pressure so you get more velocity out of it. Or even in a, a Ruger uh, number one, really, really strong falling block action and you can push the pressures way up in that thing. So you've got different loads, which of course is what hand loaders have been doing all along. And that would seem like, well, we've really improved this old 4570 cartridge. It doesn't make it a modern cartridge, but yeah, what you mentioned, modern powders, but it's really the bullet 
that makes things and the twist rates. So you start from this idea of if we get a really long high BC bullet and we stabilize it in a fast twist barrel for accuracy, and then we use a pretty good dose of powder behind it, there's your modern cartridge. But you know, the modern powders, you can use them in the old cartridges just as well as the new cartridges. So it's that combination of bullets, twist rates, high BCs, and really the, the shape and design of the case is not all that important. Uh, I always refer back to muzzle loaders. You could get more velocity out of a muzzle loader by pouring more powder down into it. You didn't have a case. And the case shape with the chamber shape was always just straight walled. It was just the barrel down at the breech. So it really didn't matter. But if you had put a long bullet instead of a ball in that muzzle loader, you would have got increased performance, shoot flatter, drift less in the wind, and all the rest of it. So that's where the really important developments have come in. Modern bullets are more about shape and than they are about the case shape itself. So why shoot the big bore? Big bores are essentially hammers that make a big hole. And I've talked about this before and argued this idea of a stopping rifle because essentially that's what big bores are used for. They, you you want to use those to make sure when you're shooting a big, mean, tough animal that might bite back <laughs> or gore you, uh, like a buffalo, an elephant, a rhino, lions, anything big and mean like that that tends to fight back. You want to stop it with a bigger hammer. But um, they don't worry too much about trajectories because that action's happening right in your face. Even when you're taking your first shot, the PHs like to get you within 50 yards, sometimes a lot less. They will sneak up within 20, even 10 yards of an elephant before taking the shot because they want to make, make darn sure that that bullet is carrying maximum energy and you're putting it in the right spot. And all of that is a lot easier to do at close range than far. So you really don't need the advantages of high ballistics coefficient bullets going at high velocities, et cetera, et cetera. You need good diameter on your bullet, make a bigger hole, even if it doesn't mushroom. And a lot of those guys are using solids. So there is no mushrooming. So a bigger hole is a little more important, but mostly it's putting that bullet in the right place breaking down the bones on the shoulder of a buffalo, for instance, or hitting the brain on the elephant for an instant demise, that kind of thing. So there's really no advantage in what we would consider a more modern, high-velocity cartridge with long reach. You just don't need long reach. All right, good question, Eric. Gabriel asks about the Marlin 39. Let's see, where was the Marlin 39 rifle video filmed? Ah, it's beautiful. That was a recent video we did um, talking about some of the the good old Marlin 39-22 lever-action rifles. My friend Dwight Van Brunt is up in the Kalispell, Columbia Falls, Montana area on the north end of Flathead Lake. And yeah, it is absolutely gorgeous country up there. He's living in the foothills of the mountains. And he had a bunch of uh, 39 Marlins. And we went out in his yard and just shot it a few times and talked about the evolution of those Marlin 39s, how long they'd been around. Essentially, Annie Oakley was shooting a predecessor of it in her lever actions. So it's an old design, but a good one. And it has lasted for years and years and years. And there are a lot of collectors of these beautiful little lever action rifles, extremely well-made, strong, and remarkably accurate. They've always had a reputation for accuracy, and Marlin tended to credit that to their micro-groove barrel. They had relatively narrow grooves, lots of them, <laughs> and uh, not too deep, so they didn't score the bullet quite as much, I guess was the idea, but whatever they did, it sure worked out well because it was one heck of a rifle, 
Steel is out of production now, but we all have hopes that the new Marlin owner, Ruger, will start making the 39s again. They've started making the 336 lever action, and from, from what I've heard, it is better than ever. It's just really tightened up and really made well. And I hope the same thing's going to happen soon with the Marlin 39. That would be cool. All right, Simon asks, what do you think of the 300 PRC? I think the 300 PRC is the 300 Winchester Magnum tweaked for superior long-range performance. And we go back to what I was speaking about earlier. It's not so much the powder capacity and the muzzle velocity as the precision built into the rifle as well as the cartridge. And the case with the 300 PRC is that they've tightened everything up to essentially match grade chamber performance. So instead of leaving a little extra generous room around the bullet once it's in the chamber and the throat area where the bullet rests before it reaches the rifling, that bit of a, a throat area in there can be fairly generous, and we're talking some pretty tiny tolerances here, but nonetheless, if you tighten those tolerances down, you help keep that bullet concentric with the bore. It doesn't wiggle wobble or get off center as it's launched before it slams into the rifling. These are just the things they do with match grade. So the ammo is made essentially match grade tied to a chamber that's essentially matched grade, and then it is throated for the long bullets that they're using, and then they've got your fast twist rifling. So everything is tuned up to be super accurate for long-range performance. But for hunting bullets and cartridges, it really doesn't do anything that the 300 Win Mag doesn't do. It might have 50 feet per second advantage in muzzle velocity using the same bullet, but all that enhanced accuracy is going to work well for extreme range target shooting, where a few inches makes the difference between a win and a loss. But for hunting out to 400 yards, maybe even 500, not that I recommend taking long shots. Some guys that do it regularly are going to laugh at me, but I'm one of these old guys who thinks closer is better. And the 300 Win Mag has proven itself all over the world. And I don't think if you went hunting with a PRC version, you were going to do any better than the guy that had a good 300 Win Mag. But if you're you know, starting from scratch, you don't have a 300 and you want one or the other, the advantage of the PRC would be if you do want to do some long-range target shooting and really stretch it out and win something. But if you want to find a lot of variety of ammunition at a reasonable price, I think you'd probably be better off with the 300 Win Mag version. You're going to be able to pick up that ammunition anywhere. You go over to the South Africa or Zambia or someplace and lose your ammunition on the flight over, you'll be able to buy 300 Win Mag. I don't think you're going to find the PRC. Good question, Simon. Yeah, a lot of things are, are changing now with all these new cartridges, and a guy's got to... Uh, Consider all the variables before you just jump in and buy. Now, if you're just staying at home and you're playing around in your reloading room or out in your range, you don't have to worry about stuff like where you're going to find cartridges out in the hunting woods. But for an all-around worldwide hunter, you've got to consider that kind of stuff. All right. Uh, N0 says or asks, what are your recommendations for hog hammer rounds and corresponding rifles if one assumes that they may need to kill several large hogs. All right, let's make sure I understand you. So you're thinking, all right, if I'm going to go out and work on some hog control, I might have to shoot like out of a group of 30, as many as I can. And some of them might be really big, you know, hogs, they're supposed to be really big and tough. Uh, so what kind of a big bullet and big load do I need? And what kind of rifles are going to be good at it? Well, 
I think you're going to have to go with an autoloader of some kind if you want to make a lot of quick shots um, just because of the volume shooting. In most hunting, you never worry about volume shooting. You know, it's pretty much one and done. But with hogs, hoo-hoo, it's a whole sounder of pigs, and you better sound off as many times as you can if you're trying to help relieve some of the uh, depredation. So, obviously, you've got to go with the AR style, whether it's an AR-15 or an AR-10. Now, the 10 is a bigger, longer action, so you can shoot the short-action cartridges like the 308 Winchester and anything in that realm. In an AR-15, of course, that's the 223 length, pretty short. What are you going to do there? Well, there's lots of options. I think one of the biggest is the 450 Bushmaster or something similar. Um, what else have you got? You know, the old 30 AR Remington, I think, was a great round for the AR-15. But it's really kind of fallen out of favor. You never hear about it anymore. I think it's almost obsolete already. But boy, if you're a hand loader, that would be a great one because it is really an effective 30 caliber in that short little case. And now you've got the 300 Blackout, getting lots of good reports on that. It doesn't shoot all that far and flat, but you can shoot really heavy bullets. And you can go subsonic put a suppressor on, and the hogs don't necessarily understand where the shots are coming from. Guys report they can get a lot more shots in on a group of hogs like that, especially if they're shooting at night. It's a whole other program from, from sport hunting, really. It's a culling operation, so you need to consider that. Unless you're just going out as a sport hunter to get some pork. Nothing wrong with that because, ooh, boy, that stuff is tasty. So, that's what I would recommend looking into. Now, you could go with a traditional autoloader like a BAR, Browning Automatic Rifle, and you can get those in 300 Win Mag, 30 out 6, and all the, all the standards in the classics. But I think you want to consider keeping your recoil down so you can recover quickly enough to make multiple shots. Bang, 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 bang. The less there is for recoil, the quicker you get back on that animal or other animals. Now, speaking of Browning, <clears throat> I was hunting uh, hogs with a, a friend who worked for Browning, and we had in front of us a big sounder of pigs. <laughs> and I was supposed to take the ones on my side, and he was going to take the ones on his side. But somehow we both gravitated to the biggest one in the bunch and put our first shots on that. We did not have any kind of an autoloader. We were shooting either X-Bolts or A-Bolts. I believe they were A-Bolt Brownings. And mine was a by golly, his was too. We were both shooting 270 WSMs because we both love that one. <laughs> and we just started shooting pigs and running the bolts as quickly as we can. And we dumped uh, four shots each in, a couple, threw a couple more in, ended up getting every hog we shot at, except we shot at the same one. <laughs> and then we'd also shot at another one that was the next biggest in size as it was running by, and we both hit it. And the bullets were sailing right through them and kicking up dust behind, and we thought we were missing, and we were getting all frustrated. When the smoke cleared, we had all the hogs that we shot at laying out in the grass. It was pretty crazy. So that was some fast shooting with a bold action. And you can do it, you know, a well-trained shooter, and it's not a bad way to perfect your shooting skills. You know, if you're a bold action hunter and you want to really get good with that, if you got a chance to go out uh, on a culling operation for hogs, use the old bold action. It'll make you a, a faster operator and you're going to really learn to pick your shots. I think too many times the auto-loading guys, before they really get experienced at it, just think if they just lay out <laughs> as many rounds as they can, by golly, the shotgunning effect might work and they'll hit something. It's much better work on that aim and make a precise shot and then take advantage of your next quick shot and go again. 
Now, hammer rounds, I'm not sure when you say hog hammer rounds, are you talking about these hog hammer ammunition brands? It seems to me Hornaday had a hog hammer as a name of one of their kinds of ammunition in which they put a particular bullet, and I think it was their their all-copper bullet that they had several years ago. They've since updated it to a new one, but uh, that might have been one. And it seems to me some other companies went with that. Was it Federal or Winchester? But this is something they do for sales. It isn't necessarily any different ammunition, uh, but they put the marketing on the box as hog hammer. And then you think that's what you have to have for hogs. It might be sold under another uh, name on the box as an elk round, which is fine because it's just a matter of having a good controlled expansion bullet for those big hogs. So what you're going to want to look at in your hog hammer ammunition is the bullet. You don't want a soft, necessarily a soft bullet that might break up. Uh, you want a bullet that's going to stay in one piece and penetrate. So we're talking about the monolithic bullets, the controlled expansion bullets. I've had great luck with uh, Barnes X bullets. Any of the copper bullets are probably going to work pretty well. Uh, Swift A-frames, nozzle partitions, Accubonds, any of the bonded bullets. Just think what makes a bullet stay in one piece for deep penetration. Probably what you want to look at. Caveat. That said, I have taken hogs with varmint bullets in a six millimeter Remington while I was coyote hunting. And I've also taken them with a 221 fireball and a 50 grain uh, Hornaday VMAX bullet. I mean, that's a tiny little ground squirrel varminting bullet. And there's the hog running across in front of me at about 100, 150 yards. And I just swung through and shot. It rolled it right over <laughs> that bullet, passed through the ribs, the lungs, and lodged against the hide on the other side like a classic deer bullet would, beautifully mushroomed. And it was just a tiny little thing out of a 221 fireball, if you can believe it. Now, it wasn't a huge hog. We may be talking mm, 80 pounds at most, but even that little thing worked. So don't assume that you have to have a hog hammer in order to drop a feral pig. Lots of options there, N0. Thanks for the question. And next next we have nothing. That's what we have next. We have the end of the show, guys. So, hey, those were some great questions. I thank both you folks for sending those in and our team for pulling them out. Um, these things come usually off of our broadcasts on YouTube, some of them from the blogs where we get responses and comments to and whatnot all. But as usual, I'm just taking this stuff off the top of my head. So if you guys figure out that I've got it wrong, <laughs> we're depending on you to write in and straighten me out because we do want to provide great information and accurate information. So let me know what I got wrong this time and we will report it next time and thank you for it. Hey, if you'd like to see uh, more shooting and hand loading videos and some hunting videos, you might want to check out RSO TV. Uh, you can find it on ronsbomeroutdoors.com. Just up on the bar on top, you'll see RSO TV. It is a subscription service, $5 a month, but you uh, can then access all the videos on there. We're trying to get one more out every week. Sometimes we fall behind a little bit, but we've got a big, long list of new videos to do, and we're going to have some exciting hunts coming up that we're going to film in Africa. And then, of course, there's the fall hunting seasons, and who knows what we're going to find there. We're going to be doing a lot more hand-loading stuff. So if you want to stay tuned on some of that, join us at RSO TV. We would sure appreciate it. And then until we uh, see you again, this is Ron Swomer signing off with his usual hunt honest and shoot straight.
go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at that Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.